Welcome to Pod for Teacher. I'm Aaron Fitzpatrick. I'm Nate Langelli. And I'm Kristen Milanovic. Way back when we were all students, uh, can either of you two think of any particular interactions that your parents had with your teachers? Anything come to mind? Honestly, no. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, I have one. I was in grade school. Well, will you share? Are you going to share with us? Well, so there was some communication about the intolerable acts that were happening that we were learning about in our history class. And someone thought that I had um, shared a paper with the answers and I did not, right? But my dad and my principal together in the office and me sitting there and they were like, did you cheat? And I was like, Oh, right. My dad's like, well, I believe my daughter. So, right. I mean, but it was, I remember it like, yeah, it was and, probably fifth, sixth grade. And I'm impressed that you remember intolerable acts. Right. Like that's revolutionary war, U.S. history stuff. And you're like, I'm not, it, it, I mean, let's be honest, fifth or sixth grade was just a few years ago for you though. I just, right? <laughs> aren't you funny? See? Aren't you funny? <laughs> oh, no, how so, about you, Aaron? Do you remember any? I do. I mean, I, I we got into this like, a long time ago in one of our episodes when we talked about the, you know, our, our origin stories, if you will. Um, I, I used to get in trouble a lot for talking. Uh, I, you know, I would talk during class and, you know, Talker. You're right now. Right. Right. I used to, and, um, <laughs> and I teach, you know, like classes in the communications realm now. It's, it's almost ironic, but um, anyways, like, so I used to get in trouble for things like that or, you know, I, maybe I'd slack and I wouldn't do some homework or whatever. And I remember like my mom worked with worked in the school district. She like she worked in the cafeteria department and like took care of the free and reduced lunch program and such. Um, so she knew who a lot of my teachers were like they didn't know each other super well, maybe, but she knew who they were and, and vice versa. So it was always twice as embarrassing for her anytime I got in trouble. <laughs> but I will say like, you know, and I don't know if it had to do with more you know the fact that she worked there or whatever, but anytime I got in trouble in school or anytime I was dropping the ball or whatever, I knew I was getting in trouble in school and I knew that meant I was getting in trouble twice as much when I got home. Exactly. Um, So the point, the reason that I asked was like, I can't remember. There was never a single time as many times as I got in trouble as a kid (laughs) where my parents immediately took my side in any of those arguments or (laughs) or discussions. It was, it was almost like the, the you know, it's like, you're guilty until proven innocent and the teacher is right until, uh, you know, just not until anything. The teacher's just right. That's just the way it is. Like, and, um, now like all these years later, like we're on the other side of that desk, you know, and it's so kind of interesting to like, look at, at like everything from a different perspective because we, we have been there. Right. And while it might just be a sign of the times, some anecdotal evidence and research might just indicate that things could be trending. I think, in the wrong direction. So for our little bell ringer here, show of hands, let's see, let's see them. Uh, those of you who are listening, feel free to raise your hands as well. Who enjoys an angry email? Uh, perhaps a terse response, perhaps, maybe flimsy excuses for why things didn't get done, or, or perhaps even false accusations from parents. Anyone, anyone at all? Let's see, anyone? I don't see any hands. Nope, now, nope. full disclosure, let's be upfront here. Those instances in my career as a teacher have been very few and far between, all right? But it does happen. Uh, every teacher, you know, different experiences and stuff. So this isn't like a, a parental involvement bashing sort of thing, but this is a topic, right? We're gonna be getting into here. Parents coming to the aid of their students is wonderful. That's something I believe parents should do for their child, but sometimes it can go too far. 
We'll get the perspective of our colleague and fellow parent, Heather Gia-Maria, a little later on. But first, our essential question. When has a parent gone from being a healthy advocate for student growth to a helicopter or bulldozer enabler, if you will? We'll get right into it after this word from Will Smith. You know, parents are the same no matter time, no place. They don't understand that us kids are going to make some mistakes. So to you other kids all across the land, there's no need to argue. Parents just don't understand. Welcome back. Like I said earlier, to be clear, this is not a parent bashing episode. So, I mean, I'm a parent. Kristen, I'm a parent. See, right. see? This is not to make you feel bad. You have parents. It's not intentional. What's I that? have parents. I do yeah. have parents. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I have nothing but love for the families I've been able to work with over the years. It's not, that's true. But there are times that many teachers across this land have had really trying, stressful times with parents. And as you know, Amy, my wife, she's a teacher. She's had difficult times every once in a while. Uh, so what's going on and how do we proceed forward? Well, I'm glad you asked there, Kristen. The New York Times has this to say in an article titled, How Parents Are Robbing Their Children of Adulthood. Boom, boom, boom. I added the boom, boom, boom part. Helicopter, here, here's what it says. Helicopter parenting, the practice of hovering anxiously near one's children, monitoring their every activity is so 20th century. Some affluent mothers and fathers now are more like snow plows, machines chugging ahead, clearing any obstacles in their child's path to success so they don't have to encounter failure, frustration, or lost opportunities. Taken to its criminal extreme, it continues on. That means, remember this was in the news, that bribing SAT proctors and paying off college coaches to get children into elite colleges, and then going to great lengths to make sure they never face the humiliation of knowing they, how they got there. Madeline Levine, a psychologist and author, said she regularly sees college freshmen who have had to come home from Emory or Brown because they don't have the minimal kinds of adult skills that one needs to be in college. And here's some examples that she gave. One came home because there was a rat in the dorm room. Ew. Some didn't like their roommates. Others said it was too much work and they never had learned independent study skills. One didn't like to eat food with sauce. Her whole life, her parents had helped her avoid sauce, calling friends before going to their houses for dinner. At college, she didn't know how to cope with the cafeteria options covered in sauce. Here are parents who have spent 18 years grooming their kids with what they perceive as advantages, but they're not, Dr. Levine says. The author of the article continues, yes, it's a parent's job to support the children and to use their adult wisdom to prepare for the future when their children aren't mature enough to do so. That's you know, what parents are supposed to be doing. That's why parents hide certain toys from toddlers to avoid temper tantrums or take away a teenager's car keys until he finishes his college applications. And I have heard a story of Fitz having keys taken away perhaps um, I don't know if he wants to share that, but we can talk about that later. If, <laughs> if children have never faced an obstacle, what happens when they get into the real world? And that's a true question here. Um, so we have a former dean of freshman at Stanford and the author of a book entitled How to Raise an Adult, Break Free of the Overparenting Trap and Prepare Your Kids for Success. They give this piece of advice saying, the point is to prepare, is to prepare the kid for the road instead of preparing the road for the kid. Mic drop, I added that as well. Kristen, why do you think parents try to eliminate roadblocks from their child's path? Yeah, um, you know, and it's interesting because 
as a parent, I see it in many ways, but if we look more specifically at how the current pandemic has impacted parenting and learning, there's a whole new air, the whole new world where people are saying the new helicopter parents are on Zoom. So it reads that the issue is the most is that most younger students tend to be unable to manage remote learning on their own, regardless of the teacher's proficiency, right? They read that research online learning. So back to your question. So are, are we paving the road? Because maybe we feel based off this bullet that our students are getting something that's unfair, right? Or not unfair, our kids, I guess I should say for a parent from a parent perspective but it's not their fault that we have to do this virtual learning. So let me see how much I can help in order to do that, right? So that would be one thought process. This article goes on to state that we often underestimate the role of the adult in the room as the teacher in person um, to provide the motivation that's needed to learn. And this includes everything from detecting nonverbal cues when they're struggling to ask questions, and then obviously, you know, that reluctant learners, they're not going to necessarily have their cameras on or speak up or anything like that. So again, because of this pandemic, I feel like we're getting a whole new generation or a whole new world of, of helicopter parenting because no one trained us as teachers to say, okay, ask a question and now you count to seven. Right. Because you you guys know as well as I do when you're trying to teach and you have an entire screen full of profile pictures and you ask a question and there's no movement and there's nothing, you're, it, those seven seconds seem pretty long. So if you do have a reluctant learner or someone who is confused, I could see that you would have a helicopter parent now saying, hey, wait a minute, like they can't unmute that fast. They can't answer those questions, please, you need to slow down, right? So I, I can see that. Because the teacher in the room does pick up on those verbal cues, right? They are nonverbal cues. But Nate, like, how is Lily handled online instruction? With our, like, she's seven, she's in first grade. She has turned seven, by the way. Uh, so she had a lovely, lovely little, little, little timing. I know, yeah. First day of spring, you know. Oh, uh, side cool. note. Uh, I, I'm born on the anniversary of Abraham Lincoln being shot, and Amy's born on the anniversary of Julius Caesar being stabbed to death. So we represent, we have death on that, but our firstborn, born on spring, new life. See, look at the metaphors we have going on in Angeli household. Anywho, right now what she's doing completely all online, she's not doing like the hybrid where she's there, like in class virtually. She's just doing an online academy through the school that's offered there. And so... Um, I'll, I'll, it's man, mainly Amy, but she'll go through and see like what needs to get done and she'll have like have that ready to go. But then we're very fortunate and blessed like Amy's parents are retired. And so during the day, her dad's willing to help out for a couple hours, whatever it is. And so Lily goes, she'll ride her scooter to their house. because They only live right down the street or whatever it is, you know. Um, and so I think she's been handling it fairly well. Um, she's been adapting and learning. It's just been it's a, a whole new world. It's very she's a very social sort of a person. And so that that sort of aspect. Uh, we're not concerned at all about academics. Uh, she seems to be doing fine in that regard, like looking at some of the different, she still has to do like those assessments and benchmark testings and things like that, but right. it's the social pieces. But overall, I think she's had a very positive attitude about it. Um, well, what about your daughter though? Cause you guys are in the same boat. Well, and it's, I mean, it's interesting, right? Because every teacher does kind of disseminate information in differently, just a scotch differently than the previous 
teacher. And so we've, we've had some struggles of understanding where assignments are located because again, we're now in, and Emily is now in the middle school. So there was a little bit of a shift with that. They communicated through email, which I think we talked about once before on here, which was a new adjustment. And I, I also think sometimes that type of stuff enables helicopter parents a little bit, especially when you have younger students making certain that you know where the information is so that your child doesn't miss something, right? And I always laugh when the kid gets off the bus, there's a commercial where the little kid gets off the bus and dad says, hey bud, how was pajama day? And he's like, dad, it was picture day today, right? Like, because you don't ever want that to be you. So I think initially that helicopter parenting kind of comes like, all right, let me get organized. What is, what, how is your information coming and how is this happening in order for me to get it out? And then now enter the pandemic, making certain people know where it is. But again, like your, your father-in-law is there all day, right? So this is also then being tough for teachers also, because now we do have an adult in the room who may or may not understand where the information is or how it's disseminated. And I mean, it's, it, this is, this has been a tough situation. You bring Actually, a good point. This, this article, was, go ahead. I was just going to say, you bring up a good point about this whole, uh, where's the information at? Cause sometimes even if Amy might write down, like, hey, do this, like her dad might not see it right away or not, still might not understand. Like, so like the, the train of you know communication, right. that is a, that is a big problem, big deal there. Well, and, and the thing is, is the, the people who are home with like your father-in-law is home, like he, he loves your daughter. He, he knows how she learns, right? right. And you yeah. know how she learns and every, everyone has a preference for what they feel most effectively, uh, the most effective teaching method would be for their child. But just as it's not necessarily a realistic expectation to expect a personalized learning approach for each student, it's not fair for someone to use a broad approach either. So we need to really figure out what's going to work best for all in these types of scenarios. When Emily started school, we had a, few, a kindergarten teacher who wanted us to be involved in just tell me about your child. How do they learn best? And I really think she took that information and moved it forward because it's difficult to find that balance. Aaron, what do you think? I mean, I definitely just just from, you know, from my experience as a student and, you know, I, I, I hesitate to revert to the or to, to always fall back on the well you know things were different then and i think you know some of those things were good or whatever uh, but i do have to say i mean like i i thank my parents and have actually thanked my parents uh, literally for the way they brought me up and, and my brothers you know like that they they made sure that we were held accountable for you know, uh, you know, our work and our communication and our behavior and all that kind of stuff or whatever, we made mistakes, we got in trouble, but we learned along the way that because we were, um, because we knew that we were, that we were going to be held accountable for whatever it was, like whatever that work would be, um, we knew um, ultimately that we were going to have to be the ones to make the adjustment. We, we couldn't fall back on, well, it was the teacher's fault, you know, that I didn't understand uh, this thing or that I, I acted out or that I got in trouble or anything like that. Um, so I think it's, 
supervision is good. I mean, so we're, we're talking about the difference between like supervision and like over, over parenting and stuff like that, or kind of intervening to the point where it's detrimental to the student. Um, it's good. I mean, we know too, it's like, it, it's, it's sometimes it's fairly obvious whenever uh, we have students who it's like, okay, well they have at least a parent at home who is paying attention, um, who is helping them out, like, you know, taking in a, a vested interest in their, their education versus somebody who's completely hands off, um, leaving all of the motivation to the student or whatever. And a lot of times that kind of falls apart or whatever. Um, so it really comes down to like how we address this issue of constant supervision. You know, supervision is good. Overdoing it to the point of, of detriment is not. Um, so the Washington Post published an article called uh, entitled How Economic Inequality Gives Rise to Hyperparenting. So they're saying that, you know, some of it has to do with socioeconomics um, that, you know, maybe we hadn't considered. And um, in it, it says discussions of differences like these, I'm talking about parenting styles, which we'll address soon, often focus on culture. China, for example, their, their Confucian tradition uh, emphasizes respect for elders, which some observers suggest could be one influence on authoritarian parenting. But we found in our research that varying parenting styles among nations are rooted primarily in economics, specifically economic inequality. The common denominator in countries where intense achievement-oriented parenting abounds is a large gap between the rich and the poor. And conversely, where inequality is low and governments provide safety nets, a more relaxed, permissive parenting style holds sway. So you can kind of see both sides of that, that coin there. Prior to this quote, the article was comparing contrasting uh, various countries. We talked about how in places like Sweden and Germany, there are forest kindergartens where kids are outside in most weather, playing and exploring with minimal adult supervision, while in the US there's a negative connotation with parents who let their kids walk home from the bus stop unsupervised. So back in the article, that suggests that to reduce the, epi the uh, epidemic of hyper-competitive and over-involved parenting in our country, simply exhorting people to be more laid back won't work. The only solution is to attack the problem at the root by combating that inequality. So in, in the U.S., about two-thirds of parents include hard work on the list of top values to instill in children. I, I would agree with that, you know. Um, mm -hmm. In Sweden, only about 11% of parents place hard work that high. This lines up with differences in economic inequality. In, in our country, households in the top 20% of the income distribution earn on average almost nine times more than households in the bottom 20%. That is a huge disparity. Um, in Sweden, the top quintile earns 4.3 times more than the bottom. So uh, there's, there's a lot more, um, th there's a lot more uh, like homogeneity, I guess, like when it comes to uh, like economics than there is here. Like there's, there's so much inequality that it, it's, it's contributing to that issue. Um, Nate, are economics a major contributing factor in parental involvement, would you think, or what other factors promote this sort of parenting? Well, based on this one article, I have to do more research, but it appears as though it is some sort of an influence. And it has me thinking about the value of hard work. There is value, but are we overvaluing it maybe to the detriment of our kids where we are stressing, you have to work hard, work hard, achieve, achieve. And is that causing problems then? Whereas in other countries, maybe just because working hard isn't necessarily at the top of the list, it doesn't necessarily mean that working hard is considered negative in their country either. So maybe it's a maybe a more healthy perspective on the value of hard work. Um, I don't know, because we, we've talked about this when we talk about mental health. You look at the rise in teenage depression or suicide rates, or even in 
adults as well. Like maybe our focus and maybe our drive, maybe we need to reprioritize as a culture is hard work. And like, are we truly emphasizing what's really important? Right. Um, and maybe that, that does play into this idea of over involvement for parents in their lives of their students and their children. Maybe that explains the whole, let's clear a path for our kids. Let's get rid of all these roadblocks. We don't want them to ever feel bad. What? Well, yeah, I don't want my daughters to feel bad, but let's be honest, pain and sorrow and sadness, that, that doesn't go away just because you try and clear paths. We can't live in denial. And so I think, yes, we don't want them to feel bad unnecessarily, but if, if life happens, how can you handle it? Because you're not always going to be there to clear the roadblocks. You're not always going to be there to handle all this stuff. And so, yeah, maybe people who are in the top percent of economic income, maybe in their world, they viewed hard work and money as a way to go. And so that's being trickled down to their kids. And I just think it got me thinking about what are we emphasizing in society? What are we emphasizing in our culture? Because it doesn't seem to be working on some level. Obviously, some people are doing fine, right? Some students are thriving. Some students, But if you look at the numbers, you look at the trends, maybe we just need to do a little bit more um, reevaluating, perhaps. I don't know. Right. What do you think, Kristen or Aaron? Or either way? Good point. I, I was just going to say, I mean, I, I know we've had colleagues, like we have colleagues uh, across the spectrum that teach, you know, in rural, you know, high poverty areas. And we have some that that teach in, you know, more like affluent areas and things like that. And, and, and one thing that, you know, I, I've heard from some of our, our, our friends who work um, in more affluent districts will say, you know, I don't really feel like I'm moving the needle much here. Like they, they get what they need at home, even if their parents aren't really like super involved. I think I always just sort of assumed that in districts uh, where, you know, like, like, you know, big money districts or whatever might have a lot of, you know, like almost too much parent involvement. And I thought, well, that might be a little bit intimidating, right? But what I have been hearing, and I don't know, maybe you, you've heard similar things, it was that they're involved, they pay attention or whatever, but they don't need to be as involved because it's like their like success and, and I, I quote unquote success as far as these academics are concerned is like, it's kind of like baked into the cake there. Like they have all of the um, advantages in life. Um, they don't have to worry about going, you know, where their next meal is coming from or if they're going to have a roof over their heads, you know, or, you know, like where they're sleeping that night, you know, as, as much as maybe students on, on the other end of that spectrum. And because of that, like it, there's so many obstacles that are already out of the way for them that, uh, that, that there's, a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of privilege there that I think makes that, um, you know, it's, it's not as much necessarily about like the teacher or the parent sometimes as much as it is just the culture, like, like that article suggested. Well, and just to kind of wrap that one up, I don't think it's, I don't know what, if they were trying to say it necessarily, but valuing hard work, I, I think it doesn't matter how much money you make. It's just a part of our culture and society. You work hard and you, you achieve and you push forward. That is true. But uh, Again, the, the whole healthy aspect of it. I, I don't know if it came across as saying people who don't make as much money don't value working hard as much. I'm not sure if that was the point they're trying to make either. And I would, I would say that wouldn't, be, that wouldn't be a fair thing to say right. at all. Um, no, but right. there is something too. It's just interesting. I don't know how to prove the correlation between the economic inequality and what's going on in parenting, hyper over parenting, those sort of things is a very interesting topic, though, that could further more. Yeah, sounds insight. like a PhD dissertation. Yeah. Uh, when you do that, Kristen, you let us know. I will do. Will do. <laughs>
Uh, well, when we come back, our interview with Heather Giamaria, so don't go anywhere. The views and opinions expressed on Pod for Teacher are solely those of the authors and participants and don't necessarily reflect the views of the Freedom Area High School or the Freedom Area School District. Any account of this podcast without the written consent of Johnson & Johnson is strictly prohibited. Gotta have both of them, not just one. Right. Both Johnsons. J and J. She teaches English, creative writing, and performing arts, sponsors half of our school's clubs, and still somehow manages to find the time to humor lowly podcast hosts. One of my partners in crime in the English department, Heather G. And Maria, at long last, welcome to Pod for Teacher. Hi, guys. Heather, we've been talking about parental involvement in their students' education as well as when and how it can devolve to a problematic level known as helicopter or bulldozer parenting. So obviously you've been a student and are now a teacher and a parent, so you have a unique perspective. As a parent, what does your involvement look like with respect to your son's education and how much has your experience as a teacher informed your approach? Um, well, with my son, it's been a little bit different because when he, we first started doing the um, the virtual learning per se recently, um, he, it was much more hands-on because he was in kindergarten, but we're trying to reach a point. He's seven now, he's in first grade. We're trying to reach a point where he's doing some of this stuff on his own. Um, he is following his schedule as much as he can. He needs reminders and stuff like that a lot. Um, but, you know, for for him, I've kind of let him try to grow up, even though he's been virtual, he'll be going back for the first time right after spring break, whenever I go back. Um, but, you know, we've been just trying to teach him how to have the skills of doing what he's supposed to be doing when he's supposed to be doing it and paying attention to the teacher and all that kind of fun stuff that I'm hoping my kids are doing, even though, you know, he's seven and they're in high school. Yeah. I mean, and that is, there are so many comparisons, right? Because I feel, we feel it's students at every level, but do, do you feel that there's a line between a parent having a healthy involvement in, with, in their child's education versus unhealthy? Oh, absolutely. 100%. I think that the problem comes when um, you have parents who, instead of helping their kid and trying to guide them that they turn around and do the work for them. Um, I have seen so many parents comment. They're like, you know, well, I've just given up and I don't know what tricks the teachers have. And, you know, I can't get my kid to do anything. So I'm just doing their work for them. And that crosses a whole new line. Um, you know, I understand that we don't want our kids to fail. And especially, you know, we're going through a lot of stuff right now. And it seems like more high stakes to not want our kids to fail because, oh, well, you know, this, they have an unfair disadvantage and they're going through things other kids haven't gone through. But the, the truth is, all kids will go through things at one point in time or another. We all go through different kinds of things, but still doing things for somebody doesn't teach them how to do it themselves. And so it's basically looking at a kid and saying, well, you know, I don't think that you're going to do this well enough. So I'm just going to turn around and do it for you instead. And then that, that crosses all sorts of boundaries and it doesn't let a kid learn how to be independent. I like that. You make me think of a, what's the expression? Give a man a fish, feed him for a day, teach a man to fish, feed him for a lifetime sort of thing. We're, we're all about cliches here. <laughs> but I'm assuming in your career, you may have experienced some helicopter bulldozer parents, perhaps. Have you ever come across that, that sort of uh, parenting style in your career? 
Yes, absolutely. Um, I've, I've shared many communications with parents who um, will not only nitpick, you know, their child's grade, but to the point where they'll say they've admitted to me like, well, I was the one who did this for them. And I thought that this was done correctly. So it's not fair to them. I actually this just happened not not super long ago not this year but they will say like i don't think that it's fair that they will lose credit for something that i did wrong and then of course they all comes down to well you know you shouldn't have been doing it for them to begin when if, with and if they had done it they may have done it well enough because they're the one that's sitting there hearing me explain how to do things daily and having a chance to work with me in class and so you know when you turn around and do it for them like that's you got it wrong but like that's still on them that's still their grade right and so even even with these experiences whether it's been a lot or a little um, these sort of interactions with parents that can be a little stressful at times do leave kind of a, a mark on us so what are some things maybe specifically that have stuck with you uh, after working with parents who might be a little too involved in their student's life? Anything in particular about how the parents went about it? Or I know you mentioned them doing it for them, but I didn't know if you know, like lessons that maybe you, you've learned in how to handle working with these sort of parents and family members. Well, I think that um, one of my big takeaways has been I always try to keep the things in the back of my mind for my own for my own kid as he grows up. And I just, I think that, I think that you have to let them make mistakes. And the most important thing is just for a kid to be able to try on their own. And I think that there's so much pressure right now for everybody to try to be perfect at something and that we've kind of lost sight of, you know, the fact that most of us are average and that, you know, we can't excel at everything, but parents so desperately want for their kids, especially like in the day and age of, you know, trying to get into colleges and high stakes testing and everything else. And people are making some crazy choices whenever it comes to things like that. And I just think that one of the biggest things that I try to do myself is to just make sure that I'm always focused on what's the most important thing for my son as a human, like what is going to help him the most, because he's going to be out of my house someday. I'm not going to be able to do it for him. I'm not going to be able to answer, you know, all of the things and to just make sure that he's prepared for that. I think preparation into going into the adult world is the most beneficial thing that a parent can help their kid with is to just help them become a good human and a good adult and be able to make decisions and to be able to say like, okay, I can send you off to college. I can send you off to your first apartment and I'm comfortable enough because I know that I've, you know, you've worked through mistakes while you were at home and while you were in a safe spot to learn and that now you're going to be, you know, okay. So what you're saying is that I'm almost going to be 36, that people shouldn't be doing everything for me still? Is that what you're trying to tell me? I mean, probably not. But if they're doing that for you, more power to them. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. What have been um, some of the most difficult aspects of working with parents that you've had in your career? And what makes some parents more difficult to work with than others? Um, I think that sometimes a parent has in their mind how they think school is they they remember how it was when they were in school they don't realize how it is now um, they don't understand why things aren't working exactly the same as they were working before a lot of the times they don't understand technology they don't understand you know student-centered learning they don't understand project-based learning um all of these things that i have found to be super beneficial because i mean i've seen students come back i i know what works i've heard them come back and say like you know 
I remember this or I learned that. And so, you know, teachers, a lot of the times, I think that we don't get enough credit, especially under the environment that we're in right now, where everything that we're doing is being scrutinized by so many people and so many more people are hearing what we're doing all the time than normal. But I think that that kind of leaves us in a position that we're being judged more for what we do. And um, I think that, you know, we are the experts in what we do and they have to trust us to be able to take their kid from point A to point B. And it's not going to look how they think it should look all the time. Like we, you know, it, I could, I could get to my point of my lesson, you know, three weeks from now. And that's when the kids are really going to have their aha moment. And that's what I'm striving for. But you might not see that looking in to, each class period, like it might seem like scattered, or it might seem like you don't understand the process. And that's okay, because I understand the process. And I know how to get your kids where they're supposed to be. Yeah, you bring up a good point. And, and those are like ways of success, like of, of explaining and, and working with parents. Do you find that you is that something that you put out like in your philosophy or in your syllabus at the beginning of the year? Or how do you communicate that with or is it just on a case-by-case -case basis? It's sometimes on a case-by-case -case basis um, because I think that it all depends upon the class. It all depends upon how the kids work together and how they work individually. I can do, I can teach the same thing a lot of different ways. Um, like I could have a class full of talkers and maybe I'm having to focus them one way or I could have a class that doesn't like to talk at all. And then like the way we approach things has to be a lot different, but we can still get to the same goals and we can still accomplish the same things um, just by, you know, trusting in the process. Got it. So in terms of parental involvement, obviously we've had We've all had our experiences, you know, some negative, a lot of positive ones. Um, what advice would you give to teachers maybe coming into this profession uh, with regards to parental involvement? Because maybe it's changed a little bit over the years, maybe not. Um, and or what might be some things you wish that you knew, perhaps, you know, while you're getting into this field? Because this is a pretty big aspect of it, you know, parental involvement. Um, that's not necessarily something that you take a full class on in college and undergrad and stuff. So I didn't know uh, what might be some things along those lines that uh, you might be able to think about there. Um, well, Parental involvement, I think that the, some of the things that I wish I had known was number one, um, that I, I think at our, our level, a lot of times people assume that parents don't want to be involved. Um, and I think that a lot of times parents just don't know how to be involved in the right ways. So that, you know, if we if we talk to them and if we communicate with them that sometimes, I mean, sometimes we might get parents who just, you know, they're like, okay, my kid's a senior, he's done. Um, it is what it is at this point in time. But I think that a lot of times they genuinely still care. Um, and I think too, that, you know, knowing how to approach lots of different types of people really helps because, you know, like I said, everybody has their own ideas of what education should look like. But I think that one of the best things that I have learned is to just approach everybody, no matter what the situation is, with realizing that they're coming from their own standpoint and they've been through their own stuff and they've had their own bad day or they're, you know, they've been arguing with this ki their kid about this, who knows, for two weeks about the same assignment and they, they aren't getting anywhere. And so I think that that really helps to just realize that um, when a parent reaches out, like it might come across in a negative way sometimes, but I think that they're coming from a genuine place. A lot of the times they, they really want to help. And I think we're, to realize that we're all just there for the best interest of the kid really helps too. And that, you know, we just want what's best for the student and we want them to succeed. And, you know, we got, we can find a way to meet in the middle and get there. 
I like that. I agree with that. And I think along those same lines, it's important to know some, I don't know, maybe you've experienced this, maybe not. Sometimes people that are frustrated or parents that are frustrated, it's not necessarily at us. I mean, life in general can be frustrating. So sometimes teachers might take the brunt of that, you know, even though it might not be specifically about us or about what's going on. So it's just kind of keep an open mind and, and a little bit more understanding. So yeah, I agree with you on that point there. Well, thank you so much though, for taking time to be thank you, Heather. on the pod Heather, today. Welcome. We really appreciate it. And uh, I, I, I thank you for, I, I'm, I'm in jealous and people can't see it, but you have the gamer headset on. And I think <laughs> I need to now invest in one because you look a lot more professional on there. But she sounds so, so clear and crisp. I know. That's Every what time you me. It's so echoey, I think, without it. I'm, okay. I might be a believer now. My wife has one for her room, so I, I'm, I'm sold. I'm sold. I like it. <laughs> well, thank you again. Uh, when we come back, the exit ticket. So stick around. Pod for Teachers brought to you by Google for Education. Because if we've learned anything from the film The Social Dilemma, it's this. Resistance is futile, so you may as well try to get some sponsorship money. You're still waiting. Forever. Well, we have had a jam-packed show here today, guys. Um, and we've really tackled a lot of topics. So uh, what's your biggest takeaway? What have you learned? I think, uh, you know, like supervision, you know, like parental involvement, we, we, we know is, is a good thing. It can be a good thing. Um, we want, uh, we want parents that care. Uh, we want to be parents that care, you know? Um, but when you're fighting all of your children's battles, you're intervening whenever you could be, uh, you know, showing your students some, you know, or your, your child some teachable moments, like how, how to communicate to, to kind of solve the problem and like how to overcome the obstacle and sometimes fail and, and bounce back from that, like that resilience aspect of things. When, when you're intervening to the point where you're, where, where the student is not able to do those things, it is to, I believe, the detriment of that student. Um, we, you know, I think a lot about, you know, when we send our students off from here and they go to, they go to college, a lot of them, um, colleges aren't talking to parents, you know, like FERPA will forbid or <laughs> will prevent, I guess, parents from, or, uh, you know, folks at the university level to speak with parents unless their student gave them permission to do so. Right. You know, the education is theirs. It's they're independent people. Um, once they leave here, I mean, like we, we try our best, I know, to try to prepare them for the next step, um, not, as, not as parents, but as teachers, and to show them, you know, like how, how to be resilient and how to, how to overcome those obstacles or whatever. So I've, I've always found it all the more frustrating when, you know, for example, I'll, you know, I'll hear from a parent about something, you know, whether a grade or a situation or something, and then I'm thinking, man, you know, like it would have been nice to hear from that student first. It really would have because, you know, in my 11 years, 12, I guess, to total, you know, in education um, from the teacher's perspective, I think you probably would both agree. There hasn't been a single issue that I've come across that I wasn't completely confident in my ability to solve that issue with the student directly. Never. I mean, I've, I've always right. tried to make myself as approachable as possible. Right. So I've always been a little miffed whenever I've, when I get that, 
that email or that phone call and I think, man, you know, like, I mean, and again, like Nate said, it, it doesn't happen often, but when it does, it's almost all the more surprising because of how available, like, you know, I would try to make myself and I'm thinking, man, you know, I, and I also feel bad for that student most of the time. And I'm thinking, you know, they're not going to learn as much from this experience and they're going to always, you know, they're going to kind of fall back a little bit more on mom and dad or grandma and grandpa or whoever else um, right. to, to try to intervene on their behalf whenever really, you know, if, if they just would have said, Hey, you know, you know, that, 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 that could very well be an issue. Have you talked to the teacher yet? You know, what did they say? Like, you know, well, next time you'll know, you know, there, there are ways to handle that. And I think that when, when you see it go the other way, it, it almost, like I said, it kind of plays into that trend. And um, so I guess in short, supervision is good. Um, and I don't want to kind of conflate those two things like supervision versus um, I guess like Inter, intervening on behalf whenever there's it's not necessary to, to do so you know it's something like like, mm -hmm. like like what was said before like heather said you know we need to prepare these students for the next step and i don't think we're really doing our due diligence if um we are preparing like a you know them to make excuses or to find other people to to kind of step in on their behalf instead of just own it move on grow from it you know you're, you're going to be better off as a result and I think part of what you got me thinking about, Kristen, talking about how information is given out, there is stuff that we as teachers can obviously do to help in this in this area, too. And I think having better communication in general might go a long way in maybe reducing some of these interactions or reducing the frustration or reducing the tension or the stress or like, well, I don't understand. Well, why is this happening? What's going on? Right. So that was just one thing that popped in my head. It's like, yeah, there, there are parents who maybe are too involved, but they're probably are some things that you know we as teachers can be doing to maybe help improve that. Maybe if, if we do certain things, it might not get to those sort of fever pitch moments where things mm -hmm. are really full blown and, and, you know, almost out of hand at times, which can happen sometimes, um, yeah. unfortunately. But going back to this whole, you were saying it too, Aaron, that this idea of clearing out, again, this idea of clearing out roadblocks, snow plowing. Um, yeah, just, Preparing kids for life after school, life leaving the house. That's tough, though. It's but tough I, to do. I feel, truthfully, I mean, the advocate for students to advocate for themselves is a skill that yes. I don't know where it's being taught, right? Like, I don't know. As we've transitioned, even from beforehand with paper, pencil to computer, um, it's you you have a shift of of students being their empowerment right if you were a teacher with a pen and paper and your pen didn't work you had to raise the hand and say may i have a new pen or right but with with a charged thing it it almost is keeping that reluctance in to to talk so i think the more opportunities we can create as teachers to empower the students to reach out to their their you know the rest of their teachers or reach out to anyone and i think before we wrap up we do need to hear that story aaron of car keys i really uh, think i think our listeners this, we're going to bookend it here look at the time. we're going to bookend it i, I chris and i uh, as much as i i didn't i didn't think he was going to remember to circle back to that um, I, I, I feel yeah. like you'll appreciate this so, I, of course i will um and this, and, is about, this is about empower this is about teaching kids and parenting styles see this it's, it all fits it does if, if it didn't I, I i think i would have you know 
deflected there, but I, but yeah, so it, it actually does work. So I um, was a junior in high school. Um, I was on the baseball team. We had a, I had a Sunday practice, like a Sunday evening practice. Um, why? I don't know. But um, we had a good <laughs> team. So like, you know. So anyways, um, we, a, a few of my buddies and I had tickets to see Rusted Root at Clarion University, which became my alma mater, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were all going to pile in my buddy's car and drive to Clarion, which is about 40 minutes from where I grew up, and uh, go to this show. And, you know, my, my um, permission came in the, in the form of, okay, yes, you can go. You're not going to be late to school tomorrow. You're not going to miss school tomorrow. And you better be home by 11. You have a junior driver's license. And I said, okay, well, I'm not driving. Like, I'm just driving to my buddy's house. He's driving us. What happens if the concert is a little bit later or whatever? And then my dad's again, you will be home by 11, <laughs> no matter what. You have a junior driver's license. So I had to go tell my friends whose parents were a little bit more loose about those sorts of things. I said, hey, like, I can go, you know, I can ride with you guys when I can go, but my dad, I have to, is, you know, adamant, I must be home by 11. So we're there, we're having a good time. I'm watching my, watching the, the time, you know, I'm thinking oh, we're actually going to have to leave a little bit early because we got to get home. I don't want to get in trouble. So we did, we left before the concert was over. My buddies were annoyed, but you know, I, I felt a little bit relieved. Um, it took a little longer to get home than we anticipated. So we get to my friend Will's house. Uh, I jump in my car. I am about five minutes from my house. It is, I think like, 1102 at this point (laughs) um i fly home faster than i should have i get to the house i had the storm door down to a science like i could i could sneak in that door even though it made a it was it was very heavy i could sneak in that door without making much noise and and i'm thinking all right i got this please be you know luck be with me today Mm -hmm. right so i i ever so cautiously sneak in this side sneak in the front door all the lights are off and like, Oh my gosh, I made it. You know, like I'm seven minutes late and I made it like, I'm going to, because we have a, we had a split level house. So like I, my room is downstairs. I'm like, all right, I'll sneak downstairs. No one will ever know. Yeah. Um, I, I just, it took me just as long to turn around and close the door behind me as well. And as soon as I do, I turn around and I just hear the word keys and I look up in the dark <laughs> in the dark at the top of the stairs without saying a word as I like, he wa- he must've watched me stand there and do that without saying a word just because he was amused. It was my dad. And, and, and I like, I, I jumped, I scared the crap out of me. I said, right. like, what? He said, keys. I said, 11 o'clock. It's after 11. You're not driving for a little while, buddy. Oh, <laughs> so I, man. I, I don't think I ever missed curfew again. Ever. <laughs> See, um, right? so, so I lost permit, you know, and again, like it, he knew that I, that I wasn't driving. So like, even though like that really wasn't my fault, um, I, that was the agreement and I broke yeah. it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so like, I will never forget that story. He like, it, and it's funny too, because like that's burned into my memory for the rest of the time. Yeah. I occasionally will like remind him of this and, and right. he's like, I don't remember that. You're, you're I know. It's so funny, right? They don't. <laughs> so, but yeah, so it, it really did kind of play into it. And, um, I, love I think, it. well, thank you for sharing Nate. Thanks yeah, for remembering. Yeah. That was a Absolutely. good one. <laughs> I think, uh, that, that's, that's, that's probably the, that's probably our cue, right? That's all the time we have for today. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, you can follow us on Twitter at pod for teacher. 
You can find me at A Fitzpatrick CJE. I'm at N Langelli. And I'm at K Milanovic. If we haven't made your ears bleed, please give a rating and a review wherever you found our pod. We like stars as much as I like thinking it's the students who are actually the ones out of touch and not me. And reviews help more people find us and connect. Until next time, go frolic and enjoy the springtime. Frolic. (laughs) Happy spring break, everybody. Happy spring (laughs) break. We'll, We'll see you next time.